1: Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. And joining me in studio, right across from me, on in, in my uh, living room table, is Garrett Hull. Garrett, what's going on, man?
0: Uh, not too much. Thank you for having me over uh, here to your lovely abode.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, uh... I was going to hype it up as this fancy studio, but it's really my living room, my, di-
0: my dining room table, but... I'm not going to lie, though. It's a nice dining room table.
1: It's a nice dining room table. Ikea hooked, me, hooked it up, yeah. and uh, not a sponsor of the show, but <laughs> if they're listening, they're interested. But um, I should say that we are uh, we're testing out some new, new equipment here. Uh, our producer, Matt, is in studio as well, and we're, uh, we're testing out some new mics. So hopefully the audio quality will be uh, better than usual. But anyways, let's see if the uh, actual content is is good uh garrett what do you want to talk about um
0: i know yesterday you texted me about the possible or two days ago you texted me about the possibility of talking about patrick Liney mm. scoring goals
1: yes all right let's get into it
0: we can start uh, with that because i just brought it up
1: yeah i feel like that's also a good thing to like suck people into this rather than us like <laughs> talking about like paul postma or something <laughs> so just tune out right away um so i have, I have a few thoughts on Liney. um yep the first point I wanted to make, uh, and this came up during the game the other night against the Leafs, um, I know the a big topic of discussion has been sort of the quality of players he plays with compared to a guy like Austin Matthews who's sort of dragging along his line mates. I feel like, you know, line A's gotten to play with Shifley a lot here and, and Matthew Perot and he's bounced around with pretty much. I mean, you can't go wrong with a lot of yeah. Winnipeg's top forwards, but it's like, I um, think I think it's kind of overlooking the fact that he is he's so well suited to. I don't know this is gonna be funniest thing to say. He's so well suited to play with good players like that. that can get on the puck just because he's mm-hmm. like one of a few guys that can actually really make the most of those opportunities. Like that first yeah. goal he scored against Toronto was such a great example where he's basically just like hanging out in the offensive zone, holding his stick up, just waiting for Scheifele to pass it to him. And you're like, what what is the guy doing? And then all of a sudden Shaikley gets it to him, and you think like the defender is in good position, but he just nope. hammers it past both Zaitsev and Anderson and is just like, wow, okay. Well <laughs> fair enough. It it's interesting because
0: that's the line that I've been wanting to have together since the beginning of the season. And they just got back I I don't know if that's their second or if that was their third game together. I think it was their yeah, third they, game. They played
1: like sixty minutes or something like that yeah, together. And,
0: and it it totally makes sense. Like, what is I mean, Pro, despite the fact that he's a little smaller, he's He's always been noticed as a shot differential guy because what does he do? He's like the most voracious, um, you know, four checker that's five foot nine or whatever. Yes. And he, he gets And he's the also puck. like the home
1: plate king yeah. of the NHL. Yeah.
0: And so he gets the puck. He'll, he'll retrieve the puck. He'll get it to Shifley. And then he'll go straight for the, for the net, yep. which opens up space for Line. A, and Line a does what he does best, and mm. that's put the puck in the corners.
1: Right. And so I, I think a good pivot from that is. Um, the shooting percentage discussion because he's yeah, shooting hey, yeah. like just under 20, I believe now. I think it's like 19.9 or something for the year. It's, and, it's high. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, um so I'm not going to go on this podcast and say that I think Patrick Lainey is going to be a 20% shooter for the rest of his career. But I think he might... We're at a risk of making any proclamations 150 shots into his career. like We still don't mm. really know what kind of player he'll be. I mean, we we have some ideas. He seems like he's going to be a pretty good shooter, but I feel like he very well could be one of these sort of Steven Stamkos guys that just like completely obliterates our like expected goals versus actual goals calculations.
0: So perfect segue there with the Stamkos example. So uh, Don't Tell Me About Hart uh, has his expected goal model, which is a little bit different than the Corsica version because the fact that he He accounts for shooter quality, right? Yeah, he accounts, well they both try to account for shooter quality, but um, the version on Corsica is just specifically looking at the shot, in terms of it doesn't matter who's taking the shot. Mm-hmm. So it looks at the, the, you know, where on the ice that it's occurring, uh, what the handedness of, I think it does do the handedness of the shooter, maybe, but that's about it. Right. And, but um, DTM, uh, he goes a little bit further and he regresses shooter's previous history. Now, the problem with Patrick Liney, of course, is we don't have history. Right. I mean, all we have is like what he's done so far. But Stamkos is the guy who scores the most amount of goals relative to what you would expect um, when you remove all the other variables. Right. So, like, if you look at the shot location, if you look at, like, all the stuff that Corsica looks at, Stamkos, on average, finishes about 49% extra more goals than you would expect. Yes. And that is... That seems pretty good. And, yeah, that is the largest... Um, and he's been doing it for years. Yeah, two, right? And exactly. And he's, he, that's the largest difference... Now, the only problem is that um, Patrick Laine is doing an additional 179%. <laughs> <laughs> so, while, so, the best shooter in the world is... Right. And I'm just talking about even strength. I'm not looking at power play or anything right. like that. But like the, the best shooter in the world is finishing 49% more than expected. 179% might be a little bit more than we could expect, even if Patrick Laine is better than Stamkos. Yes. Which he poten- I mean. Like we all knew he's coming into the league before he even started, he's probably gonna be a big finisher.
1: Right. But well, and I mean there's some wiggle room there just in the sense that he's eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to expect that in the next handful of years the shot volume itself will probably increase a bit. Like I He was he, a big shot volume guy in the Liga. Yes. And he we talked about this in the preseason when I had you on last on the show, but it's like oh your memory's good he gets compared a lot to ovechkin and i think like that goal i was referencing against the Leafs, it was like very ovechkin just like the way Mm -hmm. he wound up and just hammered it home but like we kind of sort of made the comparison of maybe he's like a bit more like kovalchuk because kovalchuk was a high volume guy like i feel like he had a couple seasons over 300 shots for the year yeah while also being like
0: a high 15 or 16
1: percent shooter which is well above average so
0: yeah he was one guy that always made the the old school sack guys uh like scratch their head because he was always finishing way more than expected but he wasn't like you know back then you know the high-end finishers were guys like you know tange who like only shot maybe like 40 times in a season right yeah
1: <laughs> basically shoot when you know it's going in <laughs> yeah
0: only one 100 percent chance
1: yes but yeah and the the, the, the crazy thing about line a, though is and this is what reminds me more of Kobolchuk because i feel like Ovechkin still gets a lot of his shots in tight. I feel like, like he, he like positions himself closer on that, on that circle. Whereas Kovalchuk, I feel like, I always have these memories of him like shooting from these seemingly impossible low percentage angles, but his shot was just so, such a laser that it would go in. Yeah. And that was what we saw with Line on that goal, where it's like he's like fading backwards on his back foot and still just generates such insane velocity and precision that it's like you can't really compare it to a lot of guys. Imagine
0: how. Like, did you see that uh, shot that he almost took but didn't take with like six seconds left in the third period? Yes. When yep. uh, Nick Batan passed in and tight. could you imagine if that went in? How like crazy the internet would have gone?
1: Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and he he uh, he warrants all the uh, all the craze, man. He's a, he's a lot of fun to watch. I think that you know, just in terms of the to discussion with him and Matthews. Like, I know that early in the year he was struggling a bit at the five one five sort of the uh, yeah just the shot metrics and trying to elevate his his line mates i I feel like he's done better at that as the year is going going on
0: um that's the big thing like everyone's like oh his shot differentials suck and it's like yeah but it's almost exclusively the first two months of his play, and that's kind of expected for you know someone who's like he's 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 also quite a bit younger than matthews no i'm not arguing that he's better than matthews don't worry guys just because i talk about the jets um i'm someone who actually put uh, Matthews ahead of Line A prior to the draft, and that mm. hasn't changed yet. But um, he is younger than Matthews. Uh, right. so if, and a lot of my own research has suggested that it's less about development and it's a lot more about age when it comes to like how well a player is going to perform relative to their future peak. Right, And so we expect Line A's. Like, one, Matthews is, was well known for his two way game. Mm. And, but, and so we expected Line A's two way game to kind of suck. But we also expected it to improve right quite dramatically and it has um i i was now you're kind of talking earlier about line mates and uh the nice thing is again talking about the same guy don't tell me about heart he has a an what's called an xpm model Mm -hmm. uh what xpm basically is it's coursey but it also adjusts for shot quality and it also adjusts for um usage so it looks at you know all nine players on the ice um, for every event, it's not like uh, it's like one of the big problems. Not to go too deep into it with quality teammates is usually when we're looking at quality teammate teammate metrics. We're just saying, oh, what was that player's average over the entire season? This is a little bit different. This is looks at every single event that happens every time a shot for shot against occurs. Who was on the ice for that moment? Right. And so adjust for that, and it still has Matthews as the better player. But what's interesting is, um, it's it's the gap is not as right. Tight as people, a lot of people people have been arguing, or sorry, no, it's not as tight. It's tighter yes. than what a lot of yeah. people have been saying. It's shrinking. Yeah, yes. it's shrinking fast. And also, he's past Marner and Nylander in those metrics.
1: Yeah. All right. So, uh, what was that, like 10 minutes of Patrick Lanny's good talk? I'll yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> um, so, the other day, I was sitting around watching a uh, Flyers game. Mm-hmm. And in this game, Andrew McDonald was playing heavy minutes uh shane Gosses bear was healthy scratched to learn a lesson apparently i think and <sighs> michael neuwirth was playing both legs of a back-to-back and i went on a bit of a twitter rant about coaches um i i think it's still ultimately a player's leagues and the level the high the level of quality of players you have will ultimately determine how successful you are as a team i feel like sometimes we kind of lose sight of that and when we go on our coach rants or, or whether a guy's doing a good job or not it's like it ultimately matters on the chess pieces you have to work with. But I think like in just in terms of the teams that actually have t- high-level le- high talent that aren't optimizing it because of curious coaching decisions or personnel decisions, uh, I put Dave Haxtall as my number one guy in terms of I was just like I'm, my, my mind's blown anytime I see like something he does. I feel like he's done a horrible job this year. But number two on that list was Paul Maurice. Um, how, do you feel about, how do you feel about that?
0: I find coaches so difficult because the fact that we we tend to judge, as you're speaking, we tend to judge coaches on the obvious. And yes, to be honest, those obvious things are ridiculous. The fact that coaches aren't, you know, improving upon those things. Right. The things are the low, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. And so you can point those things out. And those are things that definitely coaches need to improve upon, in my personal opinion. Uh, But there's a lot that we don't see that a coach impacts the game and we can't really measure because um directly uh so it makes coaches always difficult to judge and it's why i usually try to avoid judging coaches as much as possible mm-hmm. because of the fact that there's a large circle of things that a coach has taken part that it impacts how a team plays right the systems they play how they run their practices um right. also like you know there's there is something to say about how a team is performing in the future because of you know the Decisions that players make based off of, you know, the decisions that coaches reacted to your previous decisions, right. because those are creating incentives and disincentives. But at the same time, I've always been someone who's kind of said that the role of the NHL coach kind of has to change a little bit, in my personal opinion, if we were to like to be like super revolutionary and really prove a team based off of what you could do. Um, I was watching something, and there's this guy. His name, he's, he's, his nickname is James the Thinker, and he's actually he's a high high end um, I guess you could say personal trainer, but he's like a strength and conditioning coach for the American Olympic team, mm. and and a lot of he's worked with a lot of NFL teams and NBA teams, and I think he's worked with one NHL team. And he was on a podcast I was watching, and it was actually a powerlifting podcast. So it's like I'm going way out of left field here. Yes, uh, but he said the thing that coaches do best is to inspire a team and that's that's something that's difficult to know about how he does but there's a lot of things that coaches are in charge of that might not necessarily be a coach's strength mm-hmm. and i think when it comes to that like when you're looking at the decisions that coaches are making which players to play which players to scratch and sometimes right. maybe coaches aren't the best for that job and i i'm i'm being a little bit critical here uh, but I, I just think everyone should play their strengths and when you look at coaches like when it comes to systems and practice, that's a that's a completely different skill set than when it comes to evaluating players and their overall impact. And so I mean some coaches might be good might be different than the standard coach. Maybe they're bad at systems and uh training and inspiring players, but they're actually good at evaluating talent. And so I think that's kinda of like you have to look at those two jobs differently. Now to Paul Maurice yeah
1: well okay before, before i was
0: hoping that i would think of an answer by the time i got to that yeah, point uh, okay. that was i was delaying for time
1: okay but before we get into the Palmer East thing i think that's an interesting point you made about uh you know putting people in a position to succeed in your organization based on getting them to do stuff that plays to their strengths and kind of not to their weaknesses and mm-hmm. i think we're still a long ways away from this just based on some of the conversations that you see people still having on on twitter and on public forums but oh yeah um I wonder when the first time we're going to see a, uh, an analytics type, uh, on a team's bench, um, not as the coach, but mm-hmm. as like an in-game advisor on the fly. Yeah. Because, uh, I understand that, you know, hockey is a, a faster, more free flowing sport than something like baseball or basketball. But well, we've already started to slowly see, uh, like in basketball, for example, uh, teams now have like an assistant coach that is one of their analytic part of their analytic staff. That's like sitting behind the coach or something like that during the game. And you can kind of bounce ideas off of each other and sort mm-hmm. of rec- And it's another pair of eyes to basically recognize what's going on or if there's something that you should adjust in terms of usage or something like that. And it's like, I feel like we're probably still, Oh yeah. We're a depressingly large amount away from that happening in hockey. But, uh, I think like that's something that people don't talk about that would potentially be an interesting little advantage.
0: But yeah, it's just exactly as you said, it's not like to say like one person's better than the other. It's just different people have different strengths. It's like, if you look at a carpenter, a carpenter's going to use the right tools for the right job. He's not going to use a saw for a hammer. He's not going to use a hammer for a saw. Yep. It's not saying that the saw is better than the hammer. It's not saying the hammer is better than the saw. You just yep. got to use the right tools for the right job.
1: You're just pulling all sorts of analogies out to just dismiss the fact that we're not talking about Palmer. East yeah. I'm so I'm working on it. Um, <laughs>
0: I'm okay. Uh, a lot of metrics say that Paul Maurice is average, mm. and so whenever it comes to like an averageish coach, I mean, I'm pretty sure that my guess is that we I have no way to say this for certain at any point in time. But my guess is a lot of the population of coaching is fairly tight to the median. Right. I think a lot of coaches are probably very similar in terms of impact. You know they might have different strengths weaknesses versus the other, but most of them are probably on aggregate. there's not too many Babcocks who are yeah. like elite elite there's few difference makers or guys yeah. that'll
1: completely drag that and into there's our operation. and
0: there's very few guys who are just absolute dog terrible.
1: um but yeah it it's tough to uh and then you have guys like Willie Desjardins or or Jeff Blashill who you can't really argue they've done a good job or like have optimized the talent they do have, but then mm-hmm. like you look at the co- roster composition and it's like it's a coach not a magician like there's only so much you could conceivably do with this level
0: of talent. how many wins is a nhl coach really worth yes but the the reason
1: why i bring up maurice is because i know this is something you've written about in the past and something that has caught my eye um i've been infatuated this year with the idea of pace Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how fast teams are playing at five on five and i know it's not like the most scientific uh way to look at it because like you're just basically adding shots for and shots against the rate yeah. that are happening and it's like you have teams that appear in the top five like the arizona coyotes or the new york islanders and i'm not sure they're playing fast as much as they're just getting brutalized in their own zone so yeah. it's like it's you know it's yeah if they're just giving up a ton of shots it looks like they're playing fast but maybe they just can't ever recover the puck like yeah exactly but with the jets it it's it's I feel like there's something to the fact that they've been bottom five all year basically and the other teams are all these like like the Canucks and the Red Wings and the Devils and it's like teams you'd expect that are either not talented or are old and you'd expect that they'd play slow and then you see the Jets and then I'm like I feel like they could be playing the style of game the Leafs are playing where it's like they're just at the top of the chart they're just playing this frantic pace but they have so much skill that the more opportunities you create, the more likelihood they're going to capitalize on it because they're probably more skilled than the opponent they're playing.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I, as you said, I did write about this earlier and I think it's a combination of, well, okay, I'll, I'm going to partially guess and partially be, uh, it's educated guesses. There's some stuff that I've heard and some stuff that I'm making assumptions about, but the Jets goaltending in the beginning of the season was absolutely trash, atrocious, hmm. terrible. Um, there I mean, it wasn't necessarily worse than they normally get. Yeah, because, I was going to say, it mean, <laughs>
1: sounds like Winnipeg Jets golden.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Connor Helbiok is basically performing as Andre Pavlik normally does. We normally expect uh, Connor Helbiok to be better, uh, but he's being basically Pavlik. Yep. And then Pavlik, who got called up, and Hutchison were being worse than Pavlik normally is. <laughs> so the Jets were not doing very well. And I think a lot of it was like Paul Maurice was like looking at like where something was terrible and was trying to fix that. So he was being, I mean, one of the things that the Jets were doing very well in, in the start of the year was they were one of the teams that was allowing the least amount of scoring chances against. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate bidding shots and looking exclusively at scoring chances, but I'm going to throw it out there. Right. And so I think a lot of it was the fact that he was just like trying to, because he was, he didn't trust his goalies. So he's doing whatever he could to try to, Um, limit that and i think it ended up hurting him more than it ended up helping him because of the exact same thing that you said the winnipeg jets are a fast and big and scoring skilled young team Mm -hmm. they're built to be quick and quick on the puck and move the puck out and score as much as possible as fast as possible the only issue about that is the fact that i don't think their defense is exactly built for that um, especially because their left side is so slow right um the right side i don't i the right side i think can play that game um Bufflin is slowing a bit down but he's still and his passes is not as elite as it was maybe in like 2011 2012 mm-hmm. but he's still a good puck mover he's still a unique talent and then truba is god and <laughs> and postman's underrated but their left side is just well i mean morrissey's been great for a rookie but the right. rest of the side is just trash
1: yeah how do you feel about yeah ben charade i feel like winnipeg jets twitter is not, is not is not very uh, happy about his performance um yeah I, I wonder uh i made this analogy on, on twitter as well but it's like the, it reminds me of the seinfeld episode where uh george costanza is sharing his theory on how like he always looks annoyed at work uh because then if it was like bo- boss walks by he just he's like assumes that george costanza is working hard because he just like mm-hmm. looks like he's like up to something yeah. it's like thinking hard and it's like the camera always just pans to Maul Maurice and he's just always like, he's got this like vein on his forehead that looks like it's about to burst. And he always looks like so irritated with something. And you're like, wow, like the wheels must be spinning. And they're like, he must be up to something. But there's like, I feel like this entire season, I've, I've had these insane complaints about usage or, or things that are going on with the team and it's like, nothing's yeah. really changing. So I feel like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, yeah.
0: I think a lot of it is, I mean, coaches are risk averse. And sometimes to a fault yes and i think that's what kind of happened to them. uh on top of it they don't because of that risk aversion they're also they'll you know let's say there's some sort of lineup shakeup or whatever and it's it just so happens that they win they're they're a lot more result orientated than they are process process orientated mm-hmm. in terms of like lineup selections which is kind of interesting because they're not that way and when it comes to you know practicing and and when it comes to systems, they're very much process-orientated. So it's kind of interesting. You'd have to... I'd want to do like a psychological study on that or something. But uh, yeah, I, I like Andrew Kopp in the top six calling up Andre Pavlik. And there's been a lot of weird decisions with the Winnipeg Jets this yeah, year. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you mentioned Buff. And um, he's gotten a lot of flack this year, but I think...
0: Here, here's I, a, Here's a fun study. Do a poll on the satisfaction of Buff and then put it right beside the winnipeg jets team save percentage and see what happens
1: yes yeah i think that would be a fun thought experiment i think listen he's he leads the league in ice time this year at like 27 and a half minutes and i think that a lot of that is also the first couple weeks of the year i remember he was like routinely playing 30 something yeah when trubo was out of the lineup and they just basically had to use him and i think that i mean he's always been one of these guys or at least the past handful of years while he's been on the blue line where it's like for he just seems like you You keep thinking like there's no way this man should be playing this much and look this effortless on the ice just based on like how how's his line
0: ba- how's this linebacker playing 30 minutes of <laughs> hockey yeah, just like
1: how is he like how does his body is not just like disintegrate at this point and he kind of makes it look effortless but i feel like a, a lot of his uh his struggles this year or perceived struggles are just like he probably is being stretched a bit too thin i'd imagine like i don't think in an ideal world him or paul maurice would want him to be playing as much as he has so far but maybe a lot of it is just out of necessity
0: yeah i think a lot of it's out of necessity one because like as i spoke about before the the just left side's been pretty weak and so you have sometimes buff uh, and truba playing a little bit of extra and then of course truba was out for the beginning of the year um bufflin has been worse than he typically is like, I mean, normally you're looking at buff in, at war metrics and he's around top, top 20, you know, yeah. he's usually not in the top five. He's not normally like a Norris guy, but he should be somewhere in, you know, like the guys that are good, but not quite Norris good. Mm-hmm. And he is this year. He's been more of a fringe number one, number two guy. And the only problem that I have is basically the fact that the Jets have, a, in my opinion, a bonafide number one guy. Who's slightly better than Buff and it's Truba. And slowly, Truba's ice time has been catching up to Bufflin. Yep. Like Bufflin's usage has, he's, his minutes have gone down. I got like the smooth ice time by uh, oh, nice. Micah Blake McCurdy in front of me right now. So it, it has gone down and Truba's has gone up. But as you said, the problem is that the Jets don't really have any bona fide top four guys who are performing at good top four levels outside of Buff and Truba. So, you know, you got to get that ice time to someone who's good and even though it might be hurting buff it's probably helping the team overall yeah but yeah he is a unique guy he's the only guy in the top 30 who's below replacement defensively
1: yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah it's just one of those things where he brings to the or at least in the past he's brought to the ta- table so much offensively that it's like it, yeah. It doesn't matter. He's, Although he's pe-
0: super unique. There's nobody yeah. like him. Yeah, I mean, Chris is like the closest thing to being him, but he's but Chris the, the polar. Yeah, he's the reverse.
1: Oh, man. If you just had like a... We should just have like a bufflin Tanner pairing. pairing. Be I would
0: love to see that.
1: Oh, man. Um, yeah, the... Uh, should we pat ourselves on the back for Jacob Truba? Not that, you know, you and I are necessarily the only people that are fans. No, we Jacob weren't Truba. the only people, but we knew. But before the season, I remember because he was still holding out and we were having a discussion, you know, and there was all these trade rumors and it was like... Yeah, let's see what he looks like when he's not playing like sixty percent of his minutes with Mark Stewart. And, yeah, uh, sure enough, you get him playing with guys like Enstrom and Morrissey, who allow him to just like he's he's like nearly quite literally just been like unchained on the ice, where it's like he's just not allowed to like Free. he's allowed to roam <laughs> around and. Dude, Jacob Truba stuff, and he's been really fun to watch.
0: I love how often he does the spinnerama when he's like zone exiting. He's
1: so he's so talented, and like for a while there, just felt like I don't know if he was just like bummed out by the fact that he knew that like the guy playing with him was incapable of doing anything, or like he had to tone it down just to kind of compensate for that. But like, it's been it's been amazing to watch this year.
0: Yeah, I think last time I checked, he was like tenth in five on five points per sixty. I think he was. That's about a week or two old, so that yeah. might be out of date. And I think he was like 5th or 6th in XPM, which is like that Super coursey that I was speaking mm-hmm. of earlier. Yep. So he's tracking as a top 10 defender right now.
1: Yeah. Um, and he's doing it for pretty much peanuts financially. So uh, yeah. I
0: can't wait to see what that extension is going to look like.
1: Yes. I'm sure he's going to give them a, uh, a good deal though, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> they were in so much goodwill with him. Yeah. Um. Okay. Glad no, that
0: they saved one million now to spend extra eight million in the yes, future. Yes.
1: Great way to do business. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the goaltending. I know we touched on it a bit. I have yeah. it on my notes here in terms of stuff I want to discuss, but it's like, it just. I'll,
0: I'll summarize uh, it. Connor Hellebuck starting to look a little bit better, but he's still not great. There we go. Passed. Done.
1: Well, I think the only thing that's the thing that's amusing to me is how quickly people have like turned on Hellebuck. Like it was one of those things where he was like the top prospect, and he was put, yeah. putting up these insane numbers in the NCAA and the AHL. And then he came up, and he's been, like, roughly league average, maybe slightly below in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things. And it's, like, that's better than what they were getting before, but people just kept making these excuses for Andre Pavlik. And even we, we've seen it this year, where he comes up, plays eight games, timely gives saves. up at least three goals in all of those games. Timely saves. And people just, yeah, he's, made, he just, he's giving the team the confidence it takes to win games. Uh, Andre Pavlik does
0: timely saves. That's why they never win when they don't score four goals or more.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean... He could make all the saves, but uh, he doesn't want to.
0: They're just that one's not timely enough. Yes.
1: Um, Kevin Shevel day off. Um, so this is his sixth year in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should say that I'm a fan of uh of organizations being patient and uh, sort of following through with continuity and not being super reactive. Yeah. Um, I was talking with our producer Matt here before we went on the air about. Vancouver in terms of how everything was great. And then as soon as they stopped winning as much as they were before, people were like, well, we need to get rid of Gillis. We need to get rid of Alain Vigneault. We need to make changes. And it's like, that probably was not, I mean, at the time it was, it seemed stupid, but now, especially it's like, boy, it'd be great if they were those Canucks again, like, yeah. uh, even if they were losing in the first round, like that's still a step up from what's going on right now. But it's with Winnipeg, it's like shell day off six year. Uh, I think Maurice has been there for like three and a half or four of them. They have zero playoff wins to show for during that time. They've made mm-hmm. the playoffs once, got swept in oh, the first team round. Team looks so good on paper. Team looks good on paper. I mean, they've drafted really well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I like a lot of their players, but it seems like whenever we hear these conversations about people being on the hot seat or something, I feel like Kevin day off never gets brought up, which is weird to me. I don't know if it's just like because like he just like sits in the back and never makes any sort of move, so people just like forget about him. It's a but process yeah yeah, that's
0: his favorite it's his favorite term it's a process and that's the way well i mean from what i heard is kevin shovel came with his plan he's like this is the only way that we can um as a small market team will be able to contend and it'll be all through the draft and development as if apparently only that team drafts and develops but let's not get into that uh but yeah so i think the fact is he sold the plan that looked like more of a long term than a short term. And so the the ownership is gonna take it a little bit easy and
1: slow with him. Yeah, Brian burke had the five year plan, Kevin off has the lifetime plan. <laughs> like, basically. <laughs> um do you think they're gonna do anything this at the at the deadline? I mean they it's interesting that the guy that seems to be generating the most buzz in terms of a guy that could move on the Jets is Matthew Perot, whose four year extension hasn't even kicked in yet.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that he's you know has an extension on his contract and everyone's like talking about him i think the biggest reason why people are talking about him is because his low pdo and low shooting percentage right now yes and, and which yeah. has been s- dramatically rising in the past three games so
1: yeah and i mean yeah playing with Patrick is going to uh, do that yes
0: and as we said those two are perfect for each other uh yeah so that's what i, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people are forgetting about the extension like uh, there's someone who is throwing you know the Panthers were interested in the start of the year, and I'm like, well, I think a lot
1: of teams should be interested in him. Yeah, I think yeah, a, I think a lot player. of teams, are.
0: but I don't think he fits in. Like, I mean, he's 29. He's got a four-year extension. Yep. He's a good player. It's. Uh, I was talking to a, a scout that I can't speak where they were from, but <laughs> yesterday, literally about Perot, and he, he kind of suggested he's like he said Perot was the player that's was so undervalued for long for so long that now he's starting to become noticed. Because everyone started pointing out that he was undervalued so much. And so now his value is basically what it is.
1: Oh. I and thought it, you were saying he's a bit overvalued. Kind of like well Louis not, Erickson where it's like after five years yeah. of everyone saying he's the most undervalued player in the league.
0: Not, not so much that swing. But like just judging him by his next contract and everything. Like you, he says, he said teams don't want to find pro. Teams want to. Or not teams want to. But teams shouldn't look for pro. Teams should look for, for the, the next, next pro. Yeah. And th- th- we kind of saw the same thing happen with uh, Pugliot over in uh, Edmonton. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an underrated player. He was a play driver and, and also scored. they to be
1: like his absolute ceiling. The-
0: yeah. And now all of a sudden he's not exactly, you know, he's not an undervalued guy anymore. He's,
1: you know. Properly valued. And there's like nothing less sexy than being perfectly valued and described yeah. like, <laughs> great i know exactly what he is um
0: yeah you're not getting anything special from him before it was he was he was a great player not just because he's driving results results both pro and Puyat. they were great players because they're providing results better than what their market value was mm-hmm. yes and you so i i think a lot of te- teams are cooling off on pro just because of the fact that you know, his extension basically properly values him. Maybe a little bit, maybe still a little bit cheap just because of the fact that, you know, he's more of a shot differential driver than he is a shooting percentage driver. And they tend to be a little bit over or undervalued. But yeah, I think, I don't think that he's actually has much interest. I think that's mostly a TSN driven thing. Yeah. Um. I, th- I think that it's p- possible that the Jets will try to move some of their veterans. Um. I know that like people for some reason have been interested in Chris Thorburn before um at the deadline and the Jets held on to him. Yes, that doesn't make sense. Um so maybe that's still the case. I mean he's three years older than when that last happened. Um but I he's know, expiring. I yeah. feel like he
1: could definitely go for like a third or fourth or something you know, yeah. one would really I, blink an eye.
0: I think they'll i think they'll look to shed those type of guys, whether that's um I could see Thorburn. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be on the market for Mark Stewart. Uh, the game's like, gone too fast for him. But um, I think they're going to probably look at potentially moving uh, Drew Stafford. He's uh, basically the opposite of pro. He's a guy who tends to be sometimes overvalued by teens because he's a goal scorer, but terrible play driver. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's not much. Some people have talked about the Jets potentially being buyers in terms, not in terms of renters, but in terms of buying. Uh right. just because of the fact that their left side defense is terrible and the team kinda knows it. Yeah. So um I think they might try to try to find a young left handed guy, but the problem is the expansion draft makes yeah. it a very short list.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um well I I think the, the the reason why I brought up the potential for, you know, like no one's we're no one's gonna get excited about Chris Thorburn moving for a fourth or something or Mark or, Stewart no. or, or whatever. But for the Jets seventh. they have they have done such a good job of drafting. Like I mean like just look at something like whether it's like a Patan or a Jansen Harkins or a Michael Spachek, and it's like all these guys, like I feel like maybe you and I would get pretty excited if they just got like extra third round picks mm-hmm. to uh to play with because they seem to be doing really well with those, but I think
0: they tend to do better with thirds than they do with seconds. Maybe they should get a third. That <laughs>
1: seems yeah. That seems uh very scientific and definitely factually <laughs> correct. Um I wanted to talk to you about uh Evander Kane a bit. Um used to play for Used to play for the Jets? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason why I think he's interesting is because I I just think he's a fascinating player in terms of how his career arc has gone Um, because, you know, he was this top prospect and everyone just thought the world of him. And then he had like a bunch of injuries and he underperformed and he got traded and then people just kind of forgot about him in Buffalo a bit. Mm -hmm. But then this year he's been incredibly productive when he's been in the lineup and – part of it is the fact that he got out of shooting percentage hell somehow. I'm not yeah. sure how he did it. Um, but I know that like, I wrote it down here, I mean for his first seven years of his career, he was like an eight eight 8.5% shooting guy. And that was, that's obviously very, very bad and will make everyone look very unproductive. Mm-hmm. And then this year he's like up to 13. Yeah. And I just, like watching him play, I know that there was always this criticism of how, you know, he was like
0: from anywhere, yeah, and he, was, he was he
1: was the type of guy where it's like, well, shot quality is real. Look at Vander Kane. There's a reason he's shooting so low. He shoots from terrible, terrible angles and terrible locations, and like it just happened for so long that you just sort of had to recalibrate your expectations. Like you couldn't just be like, he- basically, if you were saying that he'd bounce back to league average or whatever, mm-hmm. you would have been wrong for many, many years in many, a row. Many, many years. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I'm just fascinated by him because like he's not even 26 years old yet. So it's like I'm just I'm just very curious. Like he's also a guy that's popping up on a lot of uh trade bait lists because I think he has like one year left on his deal at like 5 million or something like that and Buffalo is not necessarily, I mean they've been playing better lately but they're not I feel like they're not necessarily very attached to him and they're not going anywhere anytime fast at this point. So it's just like he's a he's an interesting player to me because he just brings up all these uh subplots that we can attribute to other players around the league that he might be a good case study.
0: Yeah, um I, I I think Vander Kane is a guy that shouldn't be shooting at thirteen percent, to be honest with you. No. Um I, I do believe that he's a bit of a lower percentage shooter for the reasons that we kind of listed. Um I think people over exaggerate um those differences and whatever, and like he's still a useful player despite the fact that, you know, he does that kind of stuff. But and like Vander Kane also plays the game like very heavy, very fast, and very fun. He's a fun player to watch. He's a fun player to to have on your team. And he does a lot of things beyond scoring. Um,
1: So he's a player that teams should want. I I would... Well, the reason I brought him up is because... So yesterday I got into this whole thing back and forth with people about Lars Eller. And he's been a... Like, they don't play a similar game, per se, or they have different skill sets. But he's also one of these guys where coming up people thought you know he had endless potential like you see this big physical guy who's also like flashes crazy skill at times and you're thinking wow if he puts it all together he could be one of the better players in the league and he's been around for so long now that i think it's safe to say that's not going to happen at this point Mm -hmm. for lorzeller like i I think he's settled in at like a 15 goal goal a season guy which is perfectly fine but I, i think that people sometimes um can't get over this mental hurdle that it's like you can't hold two ideas in your head at the same time where it's like he could be disappointing just from a big picture standpoint of he could have been better but, still but be he can also really still good. be effective yeah. like that doesn't the fact that he didn't reach that potential doesn't just take away from what he currently is
0: so back when reese and i had the hockey grass podcast rest in peace um one of my favorite things to say was fans and also sometimes hockey opera. Hockey ops seem to view a player who was projected to be, you know, if you're just say a scale of like zero to ten, zero being not an NHL and ten being like the best NHL player. If you have someone who you projected to be a four and ends up being a four, you tend to like that player more than a player who's projected to be a seven and ends up being uh sorry. Ends up being a number five. (laughs)
1: You got emotional there for a second. No,
0: I guess, uh, I'm, I guess I'm flumming up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you're good. Oh, uh, ah, Kane! Uh, no, but when you have a player who's, you know, expected to be a number four and ends up being a number four versus a guy that you expected to be a 7 out of 10 and he ends up being a 5 out of 10, for some reason, fans, and I guess it's just human nature, it's, you know, it comes back to that human psychology thing about disappointment, right. um, where you end up being, you end up viewing that, you know, that 4 out of 10 player better than the 5 out of 10 player just because of the fact that the out of 10 player didn't reach their potential yeah uh, it's probably something related to do with the fact that uh people will always um view a deal being better um when they're shopping if you know pulling out some more examples out of nowhere yes uh,
1: what, do we, what do we have so far uh, power lifting yeah uh, carpentry
0: carpentry and grocery now, shopping now grocery shopping you know i used to work in the grocery business and they, they said if you had something that was you know it could be the exact same product and if you put it out there for thirteen dollars um, or if you put it there, there is saying that you know was fifteen dollars now thirteen. Yeah. Um, it could be the exact same product, and they'll view the was fifteen now thirteen as yeah. a as a better deal.
1: Yeah, I've always been skeptical of those sales, especially for like expensive like clothing or something like that. And you're just like, what was what was like the actual original price? Like some, <laughs> sometimes
0: stuff are on sale. uh Here's a little trick: some stuff is on sale for 365 days per year. Yeah. I like, for example, I used to also do bartending and. You know, some stuff was like, this is our special, but it's on special every day. Some beer that's on for $4 every day. Yeah. How's but that a, How's that a hear. special if it's 365 days of the year being I'm, the same price? I'm sure you
1: get that a lot uh, in the bartending industry, where it's like when people, um, you know, if they don't have like a go-to drink or something and they come and they're just like, what's on special? And, yeah, and you just like, say oh. something and they'll be like, I'll get one of those because it's like the easiest thing to do, even though like, longer, like, otherwise they never would have gotten that. Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: so now we also got bartending. In so there. how do
1: we, how do we bring that back to the uh, conversation? We so were Evander Kane
0: about... and disappointment. Yeah. And I, Lars Eller. I, and Lars. Eller. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Like a lot of it is Evander Kane still a good player. He'll still help your middle six, um, second line. Uh, he'll still drive play. He'll still take a ton of shots. He'll still hit people. Um, he'll be physical on the four check. He's fast. He's a great penalty killer. He's still helpful, but because of the fact that he didn't quite reach that potential that people once thought, um, I mean, now now people might think that all of a sudden that potential is coming back because he's on a what is he on a thirty one goal pace or something like that. Yeah, it's
1: something like that. I mean, he missed a bunch of time, but I know that he's uh, one of the top guys in terms of uh, individual primary point percentage, which is basically like the goal. Like, what percentage of the goals that are scored while you're on the ice, you're getting either a goal or the primary assist on? And he like he's like he has a sky high rate basically when like if the sabers are doing anything when he's on the ice, it's because he's scoring the goal basically. yeah. Like, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still think he's an interesting guy. I mean, obviously, uh, you need to factor in like sort of what it's going to cost to get a player like that and stuff. And I think that's maybe why you would sour on someone like that. Whereas mm-hmm. like if it's a guy we were talking about with pro for example, where it's like, if he costs peanuts to get, or you can sign him for super below value, that's why he's enticing but as soon as you start getting paid fairly it's like well I mean, it becomes much less enticing of a player
0: yeah and th- there is some concerns whether or not it's legitimate or not of his off-ice attitude and stuff like that who are we to say we're not in that but that also will influence you know decision making
1: you know what he uh i noticed a while back he blocked me on twitter which i i was blown away by because i've oh. only ever like defended him and and like argued for the fact that he was like undervalued and a much better player than people were making him out to be and stuff. And That's interesting. I think him, him and uh, Mike Kelly, the the, uh, the oh, former the- TSN numbers guy, oh yeah, yeah. Are the only two people that have blocked me on Twitter, which is amazing because like I make fun of Steve Simmons all the time. Right? Yes, yeah, but I think I just think I don't. I think Steve Simmons just doesn't either read his mentions or doesn't know how you can block people on Twitter.
0: I don't know if Steve Simmons has me blocked. Oh, and not because of an ad i don't i don't believe it from an ad oh but man i think Look it's because that. he knows people that i know and heard things that i've said he's heard bad things um yeah but uh i i'm also blocked by zach bogosian bogo yeah bogo because i turned the phrase bogo oh no <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that'll do it uh matt what are we uh what are we at time wise here? 44 minutes. I think we can do another six minutes, get this to a cool 50. Uh, what are we, uh, is there anything for us to, uh, oh, let's talk about the Vancouver um, Hockey Conference. Conference. Okay. Because I know that you uh, have a, have had a, played a part in helping set that up and get it going.
0: So yeah, I'm, there's, it's a combination of the Vancouver Canucks um, and also Hockey Data, which is like the stats company that I run. And also Hockey Graphs, which is a website that I run, and mm-hmm. Nations Network, which is uh, so it's like all the people that I'm involved with. So yes. other than the Canucks, uh, last Seems year like you're the common denominator. Yeah, last year we last year we did it. Um, it was mostly uh, run by Cam Lawrence and Josh Wiesbach, who are now mm-hmm. of the Florida Panthers, and um, and also with Simon Fraser University. Uh, Cam Lawrence is busy because of you know having his day job plus also working with the Panthers. And uh, SFU wasn't uh, wanting to do it as a yearly thing. So mm-hmm. uh, Josh and I kind of got together and looked around, used my resources, and eventually got some interest from the Vancouver Canucks. And so we're going to be hosting it on Ro- Rogers Arena March 11th. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, tickets sold out in 26 hours. Mm. So I can't be advertising any tickets, but uh, we will be, it won't be live streamed, but we'll be recording it for post hoc um being able to check it out
1: i don't so i'm currently on the schedule to be doing an hour panel
0: yes which i'm going to be asking the questions for
1: oh you're going to be on it with us
0: Uh, i'm i'm not i'm going to be the the mc guy so
1: you're going to hang out with us yeah yeah oh that's okay good because i was i was worried i was like they gave me and dan Murphy an hour and i was both dan and i were like uh do you
0: want less than an hour
1: I don't I don't think there's an hours worth of stuff for us to say.
0: I have all the power, so don't worry.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, great. I oh, I thought I was going to be having to like come up with stuff. Oh No, no. I, no I, 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 you ask me anything, I'll answer it.
0: Yeah. This it'll be the opposite of the PDO cast. Yeah. I'll exactly. be asking you questions.
1: Oh, but I'll be bringing the analogies this time. Oh yeah. yeah. Study up on my carpentry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um all right. Yeah, so I uh I definitely I mean, people can have it at the very least if they, you know, missed out on tickets or whatever, they can see it later, but they can also um Follow along online. I'm sure people will be oh, yeah. using hashtag and, and stuff like that. So.
0: Hashtag VanHack17.
1: Cool. Uh, do you want to plug some stuff before we get out of here other than, other than VanHack?
0: Um, just basically uh, check out HockeyGraphs. It's a great website. Um, H-O-C-K-E-Y dash. And people know how to spell hockey. G-R-A-P-H-S. And graphs. I just want to put the fact that there's a dash in the middle. Oh, there
1: is, yeah. yeah. It kind of throws people off.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, uh, then um, there's nothing really to check check out because we're mostly proprietary but there's you know the hockey data company
1: is there anything that you wanted to talk about in the league that we didn't touch on yeah uh, while i have you here i mean we're not like no one's kicking us out of the studio i live here so but sorry what was that <laughs> <laughs> all right so, um yeah I, I don't know i've talked so much about the trade deadline already and everything yeah. like that so i think that uh, i think we're probably pretty good for that yeah
0: so who's who do you think is uh, gonna win the cup there Dmitry Filipovitch?
1: oh that's a good one um i really like the sharks again this year out of the west i think yeah gonna, i i think the east is so much better especially the Beards the metro. will eventually get it the, the metro yes go beards the metro division is so tough that it's like i don't see uh i think the sharks are gonna have an easier path to making the final so i'm gonna pick them just because mm-hmm. i think that they have less uh kind of hurdles to jump over whereas like I think I think I very well could see another rematch. Like I think the Penguins are fantastic. The Capitals look amazing. Like you can't really go wrong with those teams. But I think yeah. they could just sort of like cancel each other out. Like I I don't know who would even win that series. So I, I'm just gonna go with the Sharks.
0: The Pens made a trade for Ron Hainsey, who is going with the longest streak of no postseason games of season. That's true. It's like yeah. like
1: 900 or something like that. almost? Yeah,
0: that's crazy. The, the highest amount of regular season games. Do you think, he's, no gonna be, do you think he's
1: gonna be nervous? I
0: have, he's I don't know. The guy was the guy was pretty like he's a former Winnipeg Jet, and whenever he did interviews, I was like this is a guy that has to go into media afterwards. He's pretty slick. He's pretty smooth.
1: But wouldn't it be a? Uh-
0: and he's got like you know experience doing random things like he represented the NHL PA. That's true. Yeah, he's a most important guy
1: for sure. But wouldn't yeah. it be hilariously ironic if like he makes a blunder in like the first game of the first round? And then, oh, like, my, some, my mentions are going to be no, on but fire. No, no, but someone writes an article like Ron Hainsey, like you know, it, it just his playoff inexperience just cost him. He didn't didn't know what to do in this moment. It's like the guy's like forty years old. Has been playing for like <laughs> two decades. Like what are you talking about playoff inexperience? And he's and he's he's not
0: bad. It's, yeah, he's actually. I was talking to Corey Schneider not recently, and he has the weirdest. Um, development curve that I've ever seen in my life because his off because he came to the league as an offense guy um, at the time uh, when he got his like big contract extension he had set the record for defensive points but um for Atlanta Thrashers mm-hmm. which just got destroyed because they eventually got instrument <laughs> they actually <laughs> got guys who could play <laughs> but I mean like he was still an offense guy and but his offense just poof, fell right. down a cliff and but his defense just hasn't changed
1: but i i I love stuff like that i love stories where like guys find ways to uh stay stay effective and 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 do stuff where it's like it's so so easy i mean uh i had this discussion with jonathan willis recently on the podcast where we were discussing you know how lucic was struggling this year and then we kind of compare it to to what happened to dustin brown where it's like Mm -hmm. once you go a bit physically uh whether it's because you're not willing or you're not able to you like if you can adapt your game to do something that'll still be productive. You just basically like fall off the map, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily saying that's going to happen to Luchich, but it happened to Brown. And I'm always fascinated by like the guys that are able to, uh, extend their careers, and reinvent their game. Yeah. 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 Which it seems like it would be like a bit of like a, an, an, an ego killer, right? Like obviously playing in the NHL is, is a very prestigious thing, but it's like, I'm sure being an offensive guy who puts up a lot of points, it must feel much cooler than like being this, like, gritty defensive I'm, guy who just I'm like really good hangs out in, the shadows. in the defensive zone yeah yeah exactly um all right yeah so let's uh let's get out of here let's cut it off here and um we'll uh we'll pick up this conversation at uh at the analytics conference in march sounds great all right thanks man thank you
0: the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash cast